everybody. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It is so wonderful to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Church, I was sitting in the back and I was just thinking about when we finally get to heaven, we won't have to struggle with just enjoying the presence of the Lord. When I come into the house of the Lord and we are all together and we are worshiping the Lord together and we're singing the songs of the Lord together, there is no place on earth that is better than where we are together at one time experiencing God's presence. Because you got to understand that when we're not in here together, wherever we call the house of the Lord, when we're assembled together, when we're not here, there are so many things that we have to fight with in our mind. There are so many things that we have to, we're challenged with because it is not for God. But when we're here, we're all for God. But when we're not here, we're going to have to deal with everything else. And you have to work hard and you have to fight to just keep your sanity and to keep your mind on Jesus when you're not in the house of the Lord. And so we cannot take for granted every opportunity the Lord Jesus allow us to be in the house of the Lord together with other believers. Because the presence of the Lord, we can come into the house of the Lord like this and we can just sit and just meditate on him. And there's just a sense of peace. You get to experience joy and you get to know that, my God, this is full because I am in your house I just sense your presence and I'm not battling with anything that I'm seeing. I'm not battling with anything that I'm hearing. I'm not battling with anything else. Right now, I am just content with your presence and being with other believers in Christ. It is a wonderful thing. And today, uh, I stopped by the barbershop just to talk with someone there really quick. And they said to me, are you all back in the building? And that's an agitating question by now for me now, because I'm saying to everyone that asked that question, well, when did the government remove the restrictions? Did I miss something? Because if the government removed the restrictions, what was that, last May? Uh -huh. Last May, late part of May, they removed the restriction that we could not be in the building. And now they took us, they say you were able to be in the building, but just a certain amount, right? And so I said to them, I said, I thought the restriction was lifted and a certain amount of people can be in the building. That's why we're having multiple services because we have restrictions of how many people that can be in the building. But the government has removed the restrictions, so we're in the building. Because apparently there is not a lot, or should I say there's many congregations that have not been back in the building since May 13th or 16th, I mean March 13th or 16th of Last year, there are a lot of churches that have not come together, and I am concerned because of this. I heard ads about how they're becoming comfortable with school being online. That's been going on, but it didn't get talked about a lot until the pandemic. So if you watch what's going on in our world, our world is pushing because of what we've experienced to start trying to do majority of everything virtually. When you do it virtually, it's good, but you know what can happen virtually? The devil can mess with it. The devil can mess with what you're going to do virtually. We can preach the truth, we can do, but before you know it, we have this situation which has not been an issue for us yet, but we have this situation where YouTube is saying, uh, until you get a thousand viewers, we might have to not allow you to use YouTube to carry your services. And the government or those that own these platforms can continue to say, uh, and they can change the rules on you as you begin to depend on them more. So I said, God, you said you change not. And, and so we're trying to follow the trends of the world and say, well, virtual is good. And so you have a lot of people in church, a lot of Christians that feel like, eh, what's wrong with virtual? We're still together. No, we're not. I hate to tell you that. We are, we are hearing the same thing. We're focused on the same thing. We can feel God. 
even when we're separate. But there's a distinct difference when we are together in person than how we get together any other way. It's a fact. And I'm concerned that we might have lowered our guard and, of a, and, and, and allowing ourselves to say virtual is okay. Virtual is okay when there is nothing else. Virtual is okay when there is nothing else. What do you mean by that? Last year, March 13th through 16th, when the government finally said, shutting it down, can't meet in the building, no crowds, everybody stay home. If we catch you outside, if you're not an essential worker or you're not just going to the supermarket and coming back, you're going to be in trouble. When that happens, then yes, we have to do it the best way we can. But once that restriction is lifted and they say, well, maybe you can have 15 people. Well, maybe you can have a certain percentage Then you got to get into the house of the Lord. Because the Bible says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says not forsaken the assembly of the people of God. So the bottom line is he says, as you see the day of the Lord approaching that we must assemble that much more. So God didn't change that because a pandemic came. That's how you got to think about it. God did not change that part because a pandemic came. Then if you look at Acts chapter 2 and you read picking up in verse 42, it talks about then they that gladly received the word of the Lord was baptized. And then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And they had all things in common. And they were together. And they prayed. And they broke bread. And they fellowship. And they went from house to house together. That's how the church began. And God is saying way back in, way forward in Hebrews, forsaken not to assemble yourselves. So all I'm saying is, Whatever excuse or reason we want to give God, it's up to us. But he never said that now that there's a pandemic, I understand. God knew the pandemic was coming and he knows everything. So he's not trying to change his word because now the he says, I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. He knew everything before it happened that it would happen. And he still says, my word is forever settled. He's not changing his word. So because we're expect, experiencing some, some challenging times, we, we can't go to God and say, well, God, you understand it. Understand what? In China, in a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, if you want to go back to the beginning of the scriptures, they met underground. We're taking, we're taking for granted because we can meet like this. That it's no big deal when people were sneaking to meet like this at one time. Where people today are sneaking and hiding from government to meet like this. We can't take this for granted. There's something or some things that is happening when we come together that we might just don't know about. I know the Lord enough to understand there is layers. I heard someone said this, our, our buddy on one of our, in one of our um, classes. Uh, I, I, our buddy um, Lloyd Devereaux said he was speaking to a rabbi. And the rabbi um, and him went back and forth. And the rabbi says, here's one of the reasons why we don't usually have dialogue with you Christians. He said, you Christians read the word of God and you only go to surface. And you just see just the surface of what the word is. But God has so many layers, probably seven layers of what he means by one thing that he says. I agree with that because I've read the word time and time again. And I've seen it the first time. And I'm like, wow, okay. But as I read it more and more years after years, you see some different things. So God's word is so rich and so deep that it, 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 it's layers to it. And so we take the surface stuff and we run with it like, hey, God is good. But that's surface stuff. But when you really, really study God's word, there is layers of what he means when he says something. So if he says that we must assemble together, we just look at it as, yeah, we need to come together. But I guarantee you, if we will hold on to what I'm saying tonight and wait till we get to heaven and just say, hey, hey Lord, 
And probably we will know before we even ask him because he says that when he shall appear, we shall see him as he is. And we will begin to understand things we did not understood before. But but just in case we don't get to understand it, Joe, we, we meet God. We can nudge him and say, so what did you mean when you say not forsaken the assembling of, of, of the of the church of the brethren? What did you mean? He'll give you the seven layers of what did he mean? And all we were thinking was just that little surface. Oh, we need to come together. God's word is so much deeper than how we see it and what we give credit to it. We need to stop and say, if God says it, we need to really trust it because it's more than what we know. It's not just what we know. It's more than what we know. I am not the preacher tonight. So if you will stand with me, we're going to pray and we'll have the preacher to come tonight. But I just feel, I mean, maybe I'm just in my my mindset for tomorrow night already. I don't know, but I just know that we are doing ourselves a disservice by not following this word exactly the way God says it to us. We need to come together and we need to come together now more than we've ever come together before. And I feel so very bad. You know, I even said to the person I was talking to today, I said, you know what I feel really bad about? There are some el- elderlies that that the only time they really get out of their their apartment, their homes is that Sunday service. And and so many churches have kept their doors closed since last year in March. And these elderlies that depend on coming out and seeing people and saying hello and shaking hands and just mingling, they've been stuck in their house. And I don't know how many people have gone to see them, which is still not the same like when they come into the house of the Lord. And that's bothering me because there's a lot of them that was just depending on the church to just be that time of fellowship for them and what they like to experience. And they have not experienced it in over a year. Man, God, what are we doing? What are we doing? So let's pray and ask God to help us open our eyes to really see. And then when we see that, we will do what we need to do. Because, you know, I just, you know, when you've been living for God for a little while, you you, you know, a couple of things can happen to you when you've been living for God for a little while. You can get to a place where you feel like, eh, you got a general understanding of everything. So you get kind of laid back. You get kind of casual. You get kind of loosey-goosey. You start dipping and dabbing into certain things that you shouldn't because you just became so comfortable and used to everything. Or you can take the other road and says, God, I feel like I've plateaued and I know there's so much more to you that I need to go deeper. And so what you got to do to take me deeper? Now, this is scary prayer. I don't even know if I want to say it myself. This is scary because when you say to God, whatever you got to do to take me deeper, he's going to sure enough show up because he wants you to go deeper. But you got to be ready. Got to be ready. But but it, it, it becomes that point sometimes where you can just become casual, loosey-goosey, and not really a big deal with the Word of God and with the assembling together. You just, eh, eh, no big deal. And you start doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing when really you should have re- recognized in yourself that, mm, I'm not in a good place and I need to go deeper. I'm not in a good place and I need to draw closer to him. I'm not in a good place and now I need to experience things of God that I have never experienced so I can continue on this journey and not just plateau and just stay right here. And so we got to think about these things and pray about these things. So let's pray and ask God to bless us tonight. Help us in this Bible study. Lord Jesus, tonight we just want to let you know that we are grateful to you for even when we're not doing what we're supposed to do, You always do what you're supposed to do. You're the God that changed not. And Lord, you have made us aware that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You change not. And Lord, your word is already settled. And whatever you have commanded, whatever, oh God, you have already established, it will be so. You said in your word, Lord, heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word shall not pass away. Lord, so therefore, everything that we see, everything that we may be experiencing today, it will one day no longer be, but your word will always be. For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Tonight, Lord God, we're asking you uh, to be merciful to us uh, and forgive us for our sins. 
sins. We have sinned and come short of your glory. We have been rebellious and disobedient at times. But Lord, we're asking you to show us mercy one more time. To let the blood of Jesus Christ, oh God, cleanse our sins. And to wash us tonight, Lord, by the washing of the word. That tonight, Lord God, our mind will be clear and you can speak and impart to us your word. That our heart will be pure and receptive to the instructions of the word of God. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to be steadfast and unmovable and unshakable and always abounding in the word of the Lord. Tonight, Lord God, I pray that we will understand. Will you reveal to us and give us deeper understanding of why it's so important for us to meet and come together and be able, Lord God, to be in your presence together and worship you together. Lord, help us tonight to realize the things that are most important as Christians, what we ought to do. I pray tonight, Lord God, that your spirit will take control, that the power of the Holy Ghost will move upon us tonight. And, oh God, if there's any of us that are bound tonight, I pray that you will set us free. If there's any of us tonight, oh God, that are stagnated, that are complacent, Lord, that are stuck in a rut, Lord, I pray tonight that you will set us free, that we're able to know you in a more intimate way, that we're able to experience your presence in a great way, that we're able to walk by faith and not by sight in the name of Jesus Christ, that we're able, Lord, to stand on the word of God like never before. Help us tonight, God, that we will not just be hearers of your word, but we will hear and do what thus saith the Lord. I pray tonight that you will help the man servant tonight. Use him, almighty God. Let your anointing be upon him and allow him to speak as your oracle. Let none of us, O God, walk out of here tonight without change. Let none of us leave this service tonight without revelation, without understanding, without instruction, without a desire and passion to fulfill ye your joy. Lord, have your way tonight. Not our will, Lord, but your will be done. Have your way tonight, Lord. We need you, Lord, for without you, we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. Help us, oh great God, and speak to our hearts tonight. Oh, glory, hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We adore you. We praise you. There is no other God but you, Lord Jesus. You are the only true and living God. You are the King eternal, immortal, the only wise God, the only true and living God. Heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. We love you, Lord. We thank you tonight. Have your way in this place. In the name of Jesus. Somebody clap your hands for the Lord and say in the name of Jesus. Come on, Brother Henry, and talk to us tonight. I give you Minister Henry. He will speak to your hearts tonight. Praise the Lord, everybody. How you doing? Just want to, you may be seated. Just want to wish you a happy Thursday night. I'd like to greet our online um, members. Good to have you tonight. And I want to greet each and every one of us um, that is present here. Thank you, Pastor, <coughs> for allowing me to minister tonight. And um, I don't take this lightly. It's an honor for me. Thank you very much. This lesson tonight, um, I would like us to look at it as not just a story from, from the Bible. Look at it as something real and just apply yourself in that, that situation. And just ask yourself this question, what would you do? Amen? 
we are going to take a look at um, David. And just look at some of the ups and downs. The lesson tonight is um, entitled, Betrayed by Friends, Pursued by Family, Trust in God. David, he was the youngest of, um, he was the youngest, and he was sent out to take care of the sheep. So most of the time, while he was young, he was in the back country, you know, looking after the sheep. And there he learned to develop a relationship with God. He had all the time to pray and do anything. So that trust that he developed in God, it um, helped him. When the lions came, when the bears came to take away the sheep, he was able to, he was courageous, and he was able to fight them, and and, um, the Lord delivered them in his hand. So, you know, his trust for God, he had a, um, a relationship with God there. While still a boy, he was sent by his father to, um, I want to say, the garrison where, you know, the uh, Philistines was fighting against the, the Israelites. They were lining up for battle. And he went there. He saw and heard Goliath and, um, you know, how he was disrespecting the, the army of the Lord. And he got upset and he volunteered to fight. Of course, we know he won. He got him with a sling and a stone. So let's pick it up in um, 1 Samuel 18, 5 to 9. And it says, And David went out wheresoever, wheresoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him, set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned, from slaughtering of the Philistines, that the woman came out of the city of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousand, and David his ten thousand. The Bible says, and Saul was wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousand, and to me they ascribe but thousand. What can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul, I, David, from that day forward. So, when David killed Goliath, he became well known and well respected. And um, everyone, including the king, you know, respected him. David was the man. He was drafted immediately into Saul's army, and, and, and he stayed at, at, at the palace. Whatever, wherever Saul stayed, he stayed there. Everything went well for a while. So one day while he went out doing the work, you know, with all the, the other soldiers, the women started singing, and Saul got upset. Saul was upset because David was getting more attention than him. Um, Remember that God had left Saul. And the only thing he could rely on was showing he was the strongest and bravest. And here now David was outdoing him. Not um, deliberately. David was just going about his business, doing what Saul wanted him to do, but it caused a problem. He was jealous of David's popularity and bravery. And felt David wanted his crown, so he made up his mind to kill him. When we have no God, others' lives don't matter to us. Mm-hmm. It is easy for, for us to just destroy someone else if, when we don't have God. Yes. That is exactly what is happening here with, with, with Saul. Yes. David was no longer a hero to Saul. He was a wanted man with a price on his head. David had to run for, for his life with Saul, not too far behind him. David eventually escaped into the southern parts of Judah to a place called Ziph. 
One minute David was an unknown, tending to his sheep. Next, he was a hero living in the palace. Not too long after, he became the most wanted man in Israel with a price tag on his head. So he was just going, this was a roller coaster ride for him. Remember, he was a teen. He was somewhere in, in, in his mid-teens. From hero to zero, price tag on his head. How did a teenager deal with that? You know how he deal with it? Prayer. Every step of the way, David constantly prayed and communicated to God. Even though David was in danger and was running for his life, he never lost focus. That is what kept him. So that is telling us that is what will keep us also. Amen? He maintained a relationship with God and trusted him totally. David viewed the hardship he was experiencing as an opportunity to pray and spend time with God. When we are having our situation, if we cry over it and just sulk and retreat into a corner, it's not helping us. Pray. Use it as an opportunity to get closer to God and just leave it to Him. Amen? Whatever we're going through should not prevent us from worshiping God or lose our focus in God. Aren't we glad Jesus is not like a man? You know, <laughs> a man is moody, right? Love you today and hate you tomorrow. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you think one morning when we get up to pray, um, asking God for forgiveness, we'll hear this? I'm not a morning person. Do you think you will hear that? Or, or I'm not in the mood. <laughs> no, Jesus will always love us and greet us with open arms. The Bible says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3.6 This tells me that we should be Christ-like and not moody. Amen? So, David, he flees to Zip. Zip was a, a town in the mountains of Judah, southeast of Hebron. Um, it was a part of a larger desert. You know, th the reason why he went there, he was, he went to this rugged terrain. He went closer to his family. They were from the tribe of Judah. The Zippites, people who were living there, they were from the tribe of Judah. We're best, I tell you this, back home, I've seen where, um, when, sometime when these guys get in trouble, they claim they are bad men, right? And they get in trouble. You know the first thing they do? They run back towards <laughs> Westmoreland, St. <laughs> Elizabeth. They just run away. So, um, David here now, he went south, but he went to his family, people who from the same tribe. So he felt like um, he was secure. He was innocent. Everybody knew he didn't, he didn't commit any crime. They just know that Saul was after him. However, in spite of that, the Ziphites turned against David and went to King Saul with detailed information on David's location. They wanted to appease King Saul. It did not matter that David was innocent and he was from their tribe. The reward is what they were after. We have some people like that still. <laughs> Everyone knew Saul was after him and anyone who turned David over to Saul would be rewarded. The Ziphites were a tribe from Judah but they had no relationship with God or they would not have clapped against David. So they were his brethren, but they did not have a relationship with God, so they would do anything. When you don't have no relationship with God, anything is possible. You don't see here in the Bible where they consult God before they do anything. 
Let me put it this way. What if your family member or your church brothers turn you over to the authorities uh, to be killed, even though they know you were innocent? on the run and his situation seemed to be getting worse every day he did not forget to call on the name of the Lord that is one trademark of David he always called on the name of the Lord he knew it was God who was protecting him from King Saul he did not forget you know the encounter with the lion with the bear with the Philistine and with him going out before King um, the army to fight the Philistine, and, and they were victorious. So he remember all of that. It was God who was protecting him. And the scripture here in 1 Samuel 23, 14 says, And David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness, in the hilly country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. That tells me that the enemy can hunt you as much as possible. But God has the final final say-so. Amen? David and his men were cornered. 1 Samuel 23, 19-22. Then came the Ziphites to Saul in Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Let me just stop there a minute. Even though Saul was the aggressive, evil one, seeking to harm David, he presented himself as the victim to the Zephites and attempted to bless them for having pity on him. Whenever we remain in a backslidden state, we seek the sympathy of others rather than the blessing of God. That's what he was doing here. Isn't this ironic? Saul was in complete rebellion against God, but here he is blessing the Zephites. The Ziphites who who don't believe in God either, who don't um, trust God. So he was blessing them in the name of the Lord, the same name of the Lord that he's in rebellion against. He's even trying to kill the man who God chose as the next king of Israel. King Saul. Go, I pray thee. 22, it says, go, I pray you, prepare ye. And know and see his place where his haunt is. And who hath seen him there? For it is told me that he dealt he, he dealeth very subtly. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David on, and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away from for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David, and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place Salima Haito. And David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. So, just when David thought it might be getting better, it took a turn for the worse. The Ziphites went to Saul and told him where David was hiding, and Saul came looking for him. He had this, this mean streak. He wanted to get David because David, to him, was a threat. When he was cowering before Goliath, David wasn't a threat. David was the right thing. But now, David is a threat. At the very last moment, when David and his men were almost surrounded and about to be captured, There came a messenger with an urgent message that the Philistine had invaded um, Israel. Saul withdrew and to the Philistine while David escaped. Who else could cause the Philistine to attack and allow Saul to receive that message at the precise moment? 
We serve an on-time God. He might not come when you want him to come, but he's always on time. That is exactly what happened here. <laughs> we should always trust God. If we focus on the problem, the problem just gets bigger. Focus on God. Let him deal with the problem. Amen? So, the minute David escaped, he changed his P.O. box. He went to En Gedi. He and his men went across the desert to En Gedi, which is at the, the shore. The, you know, I, I looked at a map. It's close to the, the Dead Sea right there. So he came like right across, several miles from where he was. The area surrounding En Gedi had rocky slopes dotted with caves. And it was fit only for animals. I mean, it was a rugged terrain. But it was a welcoming place for someone running away, someone, you know, hiding. So that's what David was reduced to now. He had to find places like that that is not easily accessible. In spite of all the pressure, though, David was focused on the Lord and relied on him for deliverance. He never left that out. So Saul returned to kill David. Imagine. Apparently, all this time on his mind was David. So he went with his men in 1 Samuel 24, 1-4. And it came to pass, when Saul was returning from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So somebody was watching him, keeping a tab on him, and relaying the message to Saul. Just imagine if they had um, T-Mobile now. Oh, man, they would just call him right away. He would just know. <coughs> then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rock of the wild goat. Um, Saul chose 3,000 men, about five times the amount of men that David had. And it says, chosen men. So he didn't just call up any soldier. He went for the Navy SEAL, the most decorated, you know, group of fighters. He went for them because he wanted David. It was so bad. And he came to the sheepfold, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the side of the cave. David was hiding in the very same cave, Saul chose to rest overnight. Some people would say it's a coincidence, but I would say it's God. <laughs> Just this big um, place full of a lot of caves. And just that one that they were hiding in, Saul decided to come and rest overnight. And you know, when you're in a cave, the cave is dark. You have the advantage. You can see who's coming in the cave because their eyes have to adjust to the darkness. And all they had to do is just stay still somewhere and they were watching him. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. So, David's men were, um, they encouraged him to kill Saul because um, God gave Saul into his hand. David here, if you notice, David, he was not ruled by circumstance. If you are ruled by circumstance, that would be the, 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 the right opportunity for you. You would just get up and do it and say, must be God, I'm going to kill him. Even though, you know, the Bible says, touch not the Lord's anointed. But David wasn't ruled by circumstance. David was ruled by his conviction, his strong belief, his persuasion. He knew that it was wrong to kill the Lord's anointing, so he only cut off a piece of the robe. And even when he cut off that piece of the robe, his heart, you know, fluttered a little <laughs> And now behold, I know well. Okay, let me jump down to 20. Um, what happened here is 
he took a, took that, that piece of his, his, his robe and um, they moved back, made themselves secure. Then they called out to Saul and said, hey, we, you know, just make him know that he could have killed him and show him proof. So let's fast forward to um, verse 20. And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king. And that the kingdom of Saul shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou will not cut off my seed after me. And that thou will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul. And Saul went home. But David and his men got them up into the hole. So Saul and his men went back to Gibeah where he lived. He was done with seeking David. Um, he was frustrated that each time he tried, he, he failed. You know, David was one step ahead of him each time. Reality hit him that David will be king of Israel. And one day, and, and he, he, he can't prevent it. It's one thing to know that you have the situation in your hand. But it's another thing for him to be the king. He wanted to prevent David from, he wanted to kill David. He couldn't. The Lord was protecting him. The king was moved emotionally and repented publicly for attempting to kill David. So his repentance, it was deep. He was emotional. He, he, he sounded, you know, how you, you're really supposed to sound when you're, when you're sincere. He made David swear that he wouldn't cut off, you know, his children. David was convinced this time that he was sincere. And this is the part that struck me. It says, And Saul went home, but David and his men got them up into the hole. That means he went back to where he was. You know, that stronghold, that position, wherever, wherever he was. You remember the first time when he came after him? Just think about it this way. If somebody come to kill you, and you escape. You're not going back there. You, you're going somewhere else. So he came after him again. But this time David uh, uh, believed him. So he didn't change his address this time. They, um, so here we go in a little further now. David lived peacefully for a while after his last encounter with Saul. He married Abigail. And they remain in, you know, that same general area. But here came the Ziphites again and stirred up Saul to kill David. These people, they're not giving up. Do we have any Ziphites in this congregation? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I had to ask anyway. <laughs> All right, let me tell you some way how you can, you can um, identify them. Ziphites attempt to appease others in authority, often at the sacrifice of principle. So they'll know this thing is wrong, but their main objective is to appease the authority. When you see that happening, just say in your mind, Ziphites. Ziphites are instigators. They encourage or urge others to commit a crime or, or, or to do something bad. Those are Ziphites. Ziphites are persistent and will never allow you to live in peace. And finally, Ziphites attempt to gain friendship, status, and money by putting one another, one at odds with, with, with another. So, this is how you identify a Ziphite. Amen? But here is my message to you now. Don't hate the Ziphites because hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it is, is, is stored as well as destroy the object on which it is poured. The more you feed it, the stronger it becomes. So, you know, you just know that you, you, you have to recognize them and you have to pray for them. And don't let them get you caught up. Ziphites. Instead of reacting how most people would react, David called upon the Lord for deliverance. 
That is what is keeping him all along. He always calls upon the Lord for deliverance. Psalm 121.2 says, My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. It is easy to call upon the Lord when you have a relationship with him. David knew God. He maintained a relationship with God. But what he might not have known is God was preparing him to rule over Israel. And whatever he was going through just helped to make him the man he became. The Bible says David is a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. First Samuel 26, 1 to 4 and 12. So, just before I get, we should not sulk and cry and complain when we are being tested. God has a plan for us, and he will never give us more than we can bear. So, we should just you know, bear that in mind. And the Ziphites came unto Saul at Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide in the hill of I remember. <laughs> Which is before Jeshimon. Then um, Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hasilah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul came in very deed. Then said Abishai, alright, this is me jumping down a little further. So David, he was there again. He had spies. He saw Saul coming. He made sure. So he was prepared for him this time. So, um, he Saul, um, this time Saul camped, wherever he camped. Apparently he didn't want to get caught in that situation again. So he camped with all of his men encircling him. You know, so you have to break through the camp to get to Saul. But let me just read this here. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with a spear, even to the earth at once. And I will not smite him the second time. Um, David could have said, you know what? It is not me that is going to kill him. It is somebody else. He could have given the go ahead. But he didn't. He still did not do that. He had a strong conviction and he knew it was wrong. Um, the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, say the Lord. Romans 12, 17, 21. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they get them away, and no man saw it, nor knew it, neither awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Here's what God does. God caused Saul and his army to fall in a deep sleep. That deep sleep caused them to be vulnerable. But that same deep sleep caused David and his men to be saved. You remember when the people, um, the Israelites came from Egypt and that, same, that cloud moved back between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And you know, it provided um, light for the Israelites. But it discomforted. It, it was darkness for the um, for the Egyptians. That that is exactly our. That is a similar situation here now. The same thing God used to um, hold Saul and his men at bay. It was it caused David and his men to be saved. David took the spear and a jug of water. 
from beside Saul as proof that he could have killed him if he wanted. David knew that Saul was deep in sin, but he also knew that even while Saul was sinning, he was still the anointed king of Israel, and only God could remove him. He, didn't, he knew that Saul was, was in sin, but that didn't give him any right to move against the Lord's anointed. So he held his peace, and he did what he was supposed to do. Even when we are betrayed and we are hurting inside, we should not respond according to how we feel. We are still Christians and we should respond according to the word of God. Amen. And in wrapping up now, I'll just say this. David responded to his enemy by praying to God for deliverance. We should do the same. Amen. Final bit of scripture. Psalm 27.4. It says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Henry. Did you enjoy Bible study tonight? <laughs> Brother Henry probably know, but David is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Um, whenever God calls a man, a man after his own heart, I admire that man. And one of the greatest things about David is that David showed mercy to people. Even when he always had the right to do them harm or had the right to correct them or whatever the case may be, he never did. David always showed mercy. And he was just special, special man. And I just appreciated how he lived his life. And I thank God for David. David came up on Saul and David could have killed Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. That's a big lesson to learn from all of us because we almost can't control ourselves, it seems like, when we know someone is trying to do us harm or someone is after us, trying to assassinate our character, trying to do us in. We almost can't control ourselves like, oh, you're not going to do that to me. When the Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord, the Lord says, I'll fight your battle. And so if those are true words, why do we get so worked up in wanting to make sure we straighten people out or get back at them or show them a thing or two? And I just, I just always appreciate hearing about David's life because that's the kind of man um, David is. And he's a man after God's own heart because he, in many ways, behaves like the Lord. That's why God is a man after my own heart, because he behaves a lot. Like, for instance, us. A lot of times God could have just been like, done with you. As Brother Henry said, many mornings we could get up and say, oh, Lord, bless me. And he would say, I don't feel like it today, because I did the past 30 days and you did nothing about it. Right? Many times God could have said that to us, but you know what he does? He still blesses us. You know what he does? He still keeps us. You know what he does? He still shows us mercy when we don't really deserve these things that he's doing because he's been showing it to us and we're not taking advantage of it. So God gives us what we don't deserve. And David did the same with King Saul. He showed King Saul goodness that he didn't deserve. So that's why David is a man after God's own heart. So let's try to take something from the lesson tonight. Amen. Show people goodness even though they don't deserve it. It's not about what they deserve. It's about who you are as a child of God. And as a child of God, I'm not going to go do good to you or bad to you because of your reaction or because of your action. I'm going to do what a child of God is supposed to do. And that's the way we ought to live our life as children of God, not react. God don't react. Do you know that? God don't react. Uh, you react when you don't know what's coming, or you react when you're not uh, uh, prepared. God doesn't react. And so for us, 
We just need to be Christians always and showing goodness whether you think they deserve it or not. That's not the point. The point is we're children of God and God wants us to show everyone goodness. We ought to be blessing, blessers to others and not just wanting to, you know, others to show us respect or whatever the case may be. Amen. Thank you, Brother Henry. A couple of things I want to make note before we go. Um, Saturday morning um, is our prayer breakfast, as usual. Every uh, first Saturday of each month, uh, we have our prayer breakfast. We start at 8 a.m. So join us for prayer breakfast this Saturday. Uh, I, I think in the next upcoming weeks, we're probably going to deal with prayer a lot more than we have talked about. You know, we've talked about a lot of things since the year has started. And um, I think we're going to focus probably some, some, some teachings on prayer probably next week as we begin to move forward because uh, we really need to get a little deeper into prayer. We need to take time to uh, surrender our life to the Lord and, you know, pray and allow the Lord to uh, speak to us. And so we'll do a lot of that. But join us this Saturday uh, at 8 a.m. for prayer. Um, that, that's wonderful. Tomorrow night. Um, is our district conference. Um, our ministers and families, they will be in person, and everyone else can uh, be a part of the service um, virtually. Obviously, we would love to get everyone in the building, but it's not a big enough space uh, for everyone to be in the building. And so we'll do ministers and families in the building and those that are uh, serving in the building, and uh, everyone else can um, pick up virtually. We'll have a great time. So tune in tomorrow at 7.30 p.m., and uh, you will be a part of our uh, district conference uh, service Saturday morning. All licensed ministers um, are supposed to show up at uh, 10 a.m. And we're going to conduct our elections for offices. So all licensed ministers have to be here Saturday morning, no later than 10 a.m. Is there anything I'm forgetting? Am I forgetting anything? No? You sure about that? I am forgetting something. See, I know. We have two guests with us tonight. <laughs> so, Brother Darrell brought his uncle and his aunt with him tonight to Bible study. And so we want to welcome them to Bible study tonight. Amen. They're from Georgia. Georgia! On my mind. <laughs> the teach thing. We, we appreciate them and we're glad that they're here. I was messing with Unc. I said, man, you don't look like, um, he said he took care of Don. I said, well, them three look like pretty much the same age. How can you take care of them? <laughs> but Unc, Unc, Unc is up there a little bit, and um, so he did take care of Daryl. But Unc looked good. So we thank them for um, coming to be with us tonight. Make sure you greet them and love them. Let them know that we're very happy and, and, and thankful that they came tonight. Let them know that we love them. Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank the Lord tonight. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you tonight for your goodness. We thank you for your word, Lord, Lord Jesus. You spoke to our hearts and allow us to understand some things about your word. Help us to not to be Ziphites, Lord. I pray that you will keep us and help us to be genuine, bona fide men and women of God, that we will do what is right and pleasing that we will show the works of the Lord in the life that we live. Father, I pray that you'll help us. Let the words that were spoken here tonight, Lord, let it take root in our heart. Let it grow and produce good fruit. I pray tonight, Lord, your blessings will flow in the lives of each and every person here, those that have joined us virtually. Let the blessings of God flow in their lives. I thank you for our guests that you've been here tonight, Lord. Certainly, they have been a blessing to us just being here. I pray that you will bless and keep them and let your hand be upon them. And I pray that you will bless them in their goings and their comings. I pray for provision, Lord God. And I pray whatever situation that may be difficult in their life right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll work your work in their situation and that, Lord God, that situation, Lord God, will work out. You have
have your way in their life. Will you please, Lord? And I pray, Father, that you will order their steps and their direction. I pray that you will do what only you can do to work the things out that need to be worked out for them, Lord. I pray your favor in their life. And, Lord, I pray that you will keep us tonight as we go from this place. But let your hand be upon us and let your word continue to keep us. We give you the honor and the praise. We thank you, Lord, for tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful night. Thank you for being here tonight.